Well, awesome. Hey, if you have your Bible, let's go ahead and open up to Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. Mark, chapter 6. And we are going to be looking at a very familiar uh, couple of passages of Scripture here in Mark, chapter 6. The first is uh, the account of Jesus feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And the second is the account of Jesus walking upon the water in the midst of a storm. And so we're going to read through. We're going to make a couple of very obvious observations. And then we're going to, um, we're going to notice perhaps a little less obvious of an observation and draw an important principle or two from that. So here we go. Verse 30, Mark chapter 6, reads this way. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, come aside by yourself to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they did not have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in a boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing. Many knew him and ran there on foot from all cities. And they arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place. And already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. But Jesus answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave it to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of fish. And those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat, go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea. He was alone on the land, and he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. But now the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer, as I do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. So this passage of scripture, just in just a simple reading uh, the obvious message has something to do with the power of Christ that's demonstrated. We read in the account that, that Jesus multiplied bread and fish. 
And so what he's doing is he's, he's violating natural laws. This, this miracle, it, it might be such a, a, an amazing thing that Jesus is even violating one of the core principles that the universe is governed by. Uh, we speak of the law of thermodynamics, and part of that is this idea that, that all of the matter that is in the universe has been in the universe since the universe began. That matter is not created, and matter is not, not destroyed, it simply changes form. And yet, in this account, we don't read of Jesus taking one object and converting it into another object. He doesn't take bread or stone and make it a bread. He doesn't take seashells and turn them into fish. He, he takes this matter and he expands it. It, it may be such a, a tremendous miracle that he is, actually, he is actually bringing matter into the universe that had never been there before in the multiplication of the bread and the fish. It's tremendous. In addition, we read of him walking upon a turbulent sea. He's violating a, the law of buoyancy. The, the surface area of the bottom of your feet does not uh, provide enough, or the bottom of your feet doesn't provide enough surface area for the body to float. If you lie on your back, your surface area expands, and so you can float. But he's violating the law of buoyancy, one of the laws that govern the universe. In addition to that, he calms a storm. He, he simply silences the wind and the waves. And so this is a tremendous, the tremendous power that's in Jesus. And, and so just an obvious observation from the text is that from the, from the standpoint of the Bible writers, they view Jesus as not a normal human being. They're, they're, like their, their purpose is to help us understand Jesus is not a philosopher. Jesus is not a teacher. Jesus is not a prophet. Jesus is in fact the incarnate son of God and savior of the world. That's how they present him. Jesus himself, he, he, he said this in a conversation with his disciples. It's in John chapter 14. He said to them, believe that I am in the father and the father in me or else believe me for the works themselves. He says, you can believe me because I've told you that I am the son of God and the savior of the world, or you can look at what I've done because the things that Jesus did, no man can do. In a conversation that Jesus had with a man by the name of Nicodemus, we're told that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and, and listen to his, his opening to Jesus. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so clearly, this passage of scripture speaks to us about the tremendous power of Jesus indicating that Jesus is not just a human being, but Jesus is in fact the son of God and the savior of humanity. There's, there's another maybe obvious observation within the text, and that is that it, this, this is illustrating the fact that we can rely upon Jesus no matter what we face. So these guys, they face a massive hungry crowd and they're fed. They face a storm-tossed lake, but they're able to get across it. They even walk upon the water. Peter himself even walks upon the water. And so no matter what we face, we look at this story, we think, well, 
I think I can get through this. Like this, you know, and you've probably been in those situations in life where you're struggling through something and you start thinking about, well, my goodness, Jesus fed the 5,000. I, I think maybe he can meet my needs or Jesus calmed the storm. So maybe he can speak into this situation that I'm facing in life. So I think those are some of the obvious observations. And if you're reading through this text on your own and you're putting those in your pocket, you're taking those home with you there, those are principles that can help guide you. But I think that if we take a closer look, we'll discover some other very interesting truths in this passage. I want to draw your attention to how, how this story is introduced. Verse 30, take a look. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Now, this is the, the culmination of a journey that the disciples went on without Jesus. Earlier in Mark's gospel, Jesus had sent the 12 out on, on their first solo flight. They, they went out to serve Jesus without Jesus at their side. It was the first time they went. He had sent them, Mark 6 at verse 7 says, he called the 12 to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. And they were sent to all the towns and villages of the Jewish people. And they were sent to bring the message of the kingdom of God with them into these villages. We're told that they had tremendous success. In verse 12 of Mark 6, they went out and preached that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed many with oil who were sick and they healed them. And now in our text, the opening verse of this next story is that the disciples now reconvene with Jesus. We don't know how long their journey was. We don't know how long they were gone, but they come back, they're back with Jesus, and we're told they begin to share the stories of what they encountered along the way. Imagine what that must have been like. Imagine some of, of the disciples as they come in and they start to tell their story. So Bartholomew, and Bartholomew talks about coming into this town and encountering this person with needs and sharing about the kingdom of God and Jesus doing a work in their life. Or maybe uh, Judas, the other one. And he says, and there was this sick guy and you, you gave us that oil and we anointed him with oil and we prayed and he was healed. And so our imagination floods with what those stories must be like. And the reason that our imagination is flooded with those stories is because Mark doesn't tell us any of them. I think to myself, I think that, that would seem like the natural next verse. Say, you know, and they told them all the things that they had done and taught, for example, and they tell us one of the stories. I, and wouldn't we benefit from that? Let me ask you, doesn't, isn't your life benefited by hearing the testimony of how God uses someone else? Weren't you encouraged hearing this story? Hearing about a guy wrestling for 20 hours, whether or not he's willing to go speak to a group of people and coming to that conclusion and saying, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And then going on a short journey, 35 minutes. Everywhere's close in Ghana. Oh yeah, it's just here. It's just here, four hours later, and showing up to a, to a pole barn and a group of people gathered under, and, and, you're, and you're listening, you're going, my goodness, if, if, if somebody can step out and do that, maybe I can step out and do it. 
Like we hear these stories of people doing stuff and we think, oh my goodness, that lights us on fire. So wouldn't it seem appropriate for Mark to give us a couple of examples? So if he doesn't, there must be an even more important principle that he's seeking to instill within us. Let's take a look at how Jesus responds when they share of all that they had done. Verse 31 says, and Jesus said to them, come aside by yourself to a deserted place and what? Rest. Jesus looks at him and he says, you know what you guys need? You need some rest. You've been so busy. You've been engaged in this activity. You need some rest. And Mark's going to provide some commentary. Listen to what he writes. For there were many coming and going, and they, the 12, did not have time to eat. So they departed to a desert place in the boat by themselves. Jesus looks and says, you need rest. Now, we understand that rest is important. There are actually research groups that study the importance of rest, the benefit that rest has upon the human body and the negative effects of failing to get rest. And if we don't get appropriate sleep, how the mind is affected, makes it difficult to concentrate, it makes it difficult to recall uh, memories, makes it difficult to make decisions. Uh, people have gone beyond that on, on sort of a negative side, and they've, they've realized that keeping a person from sleep is a powerful torture device. And so if the other devices aren't working, if whatever, whatever you can use with, with inflicting pain or fear into an individual, if that's not breaking them, what we'll do is we'll just keep them from sleeping. We'll keep them awake for hours and hours and that will break the human body because rest is crucial. It's, it's absolutely necessary. We all know that there are things that rob our rest. Labor, hard work, that can, that can wear us out, can't it? And sometimes, you know, maybe, maybe if you've decided it was a good idea to do a project at home, and you invest in that project, and because you know that it's more work to try to get somebody to help you than to do the work yourself, you dive into it on your own, but it's become a lot more than you thought. And you just think, but if I can push another hour today, I don't have to come out here again and do it tomorrow. And then the end of that day, you're completely wiped out. Labor can wear you out. Uh, Burning the candle at both ends. Right, what does that mean? Well, it means I'm, I'm starting my day too early, I'm ending my day too late, and I got too many things going on in the middle. And it can wear us out. Some of, the, some of our, our young parents in the room, you know what that's like. It doesn't matter what your day is in front of you, your, your child can still stay awake all night. And you're exhausted and you're burned out because of it. But I think the thing that probably robs our rest the most are, are not the physical things, but the emotional things. Anxiety, fear, worry. The Bible uses the word fret. In fact, the the Bible says not to fret because of evildoers. And so we recognize that there are many things that can rob our rest. And and God knows how important rest is to us. In a pretty striking verse, we, we read in Genesis chapter one of the creation account. 
And we read of God speaking and things being and speaking and being and speaking and being. And then we come to Genesis chapter two at verse three and it reads, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested. It's not, it's not difficult for me to imagine God speaking something into being, but it's kind of difficult for me to imagine God resting. Like, what does that look like? Kind of a big hammock. Like, what does it look like for God to rest? But, but he, he, God makes it a point to infuse rest into the story. And later, when, when God would codify his rules for, for the nation of Israel in the law, he would include this concept of rest. In Exodus chapter 20, Moses would write, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And he would go on to say, because in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord has blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. He's saying, for my people, you get a day of rest. That's why Jesus spent so much time combating the religious leaders who had misrepresented the Sabbath day. Jesus purposely chose to do things on the Sabbath day that could have been done the day before or the day after. He chose to do them on the Sabbath day because the religious leaders had robbed the Sabbath and they'd taken the rest out of the Sabbath. And Jesus would, would say to them that the Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. It's, what's interesting is of the Ten Commandments, there's only one of them that is not placed upon the New Testament church, and that is the Sabbath day. Rest is important, but the Sabbath day is not a mandatory thing. Paul would write and say, one man esteems one day above the others, and another man esteems every day the same. And the reason for that is because we have a new rest in the new covenant. In Hebrews chapter four, the writer would say, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. And that rest is Jesus himself. We find rest in him. And so the writer would exhort us and he would say, therefore be diligent to enter into that rest. And he would even define the rest. He would say, therefore let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. And so rest is a very important um, part of our lives. It's a very important part of our relationship with the Lord. God would even command us to rest. In, in uh, Psalm 37, the psalmist writes, rest in the Lord. <laughs> You're commanding rest. Now, I think if any of you have ever served with teenagers in an overnight affair, you've commanded rest, haven't you? Some point in the night, you just sit up and you just yell, go to sleep right? You have, it's just like, if you say one more word, I'm going to break a commandment and I might break it over your head. So, but that, that idea is like rest is important. It's commanded and we're invited into rest. In Matthew chapter 11, famously, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. He said, take my yoke upon you, learn of me, because I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So rest matters, doesn't it? And Jesus looks at this group of tired disciples, and he says to them, come, let's go to a deserted place, and let's rest. So they get in the boat, 
and they head towards the deserted place in order to rest. Take a look with me at verse 33. But the multitude saw them. (laughs) When they get over there, not only is it not a deserted place, it's crowded with thousands of people. Mark, Mark uh, tells us that there were 5,000 men. We can imagine how many women, children were there. Thousands of people. And Mark describes their day, that they spend the entire day ministering to these thousands of people. In fact, it's hard to find a busier day in the lives of the disciples than this day. Come aside to a deserted place and let's rest. And when they get there, thousands of needy, hungry people that they spend the entire day caring for. Is that rest? Now, I think we have a couple of options regarding regarding what happens. Option number one is that Jesus didn't know that the crowd would be there. So he says, hey, let's go rest. And then they pull up and he's like, Oh, darn. Uh, Yeah, we probably should have picked a different spot. There's a lot of people over here. But, But does the biblical narrative allow us to draw that conclusion? What the Bible teaches about Jesus is that he knows all things. There are times we read about Jesus knowing people's thoughts before they think them. Jesus foreordains events. So, so we can take that off the table. So another option is that Jesus lied to the disciples. He knew that there's no way they're getting in that boat if they know there's 5,000 people on the other side. So I'll just lie to them. I'll trick them to get them over there. But again, what we know about Jesus is pretty difficult to believe that Jesus is lying to and tricking his disciples. So we only left with one possibility. And that is that this story is going to teach us something about rest. That That this, what happens with the disciples and that crowd of people actually has to do with rest. That there's a rest found within the story. And I wanna suggest to you that it works. Transitioning from the feeding of the 5,000 into the story of walking on water. Look at verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go to the other side. We read in verse 47, when evening was come, the boat was in the middle of the sea. And then in verse 48, he saw them straining at rowing for the wind was against them and it was the fourth watch of the night. These guys, after the whole day of ministry, get into a boat and start rowing across the lake. It's evening when they left. It's the fourth watch watch of the night when Jesus appears because the wind was against them. Hours and hours of past. Hours and hours of rigorous rowing against the storm. How did that happen? These guys were rested. So this passage of scripture actually teaches us something about rest. And here's what happens. These guys get engaged in the work that God is doing. Let me, let me, I will come back to that thought, but do you remember the story when Jesus travels through Samaria? He comes to a well, he encounters that woman. That story is set up this way by John. He tells us in John chapter four, that they came to this area where Jacob's well was, and Jesus therefore being, what? 
wearied by his journey, sat by the well. It was noon. So the condition of Jesus is described by John. He says, Jesus was exhausted. He was worn out. So much so that verse 8 tells us that the disciples left him there and they all went into the nearby town to get food to come. Because just as rest will, will, will uh, reinvigorate the body, so too will nutrients, right? So we're going to go get some food for Jesus because he's too worn out to continue on into the city with us. And they leave. And what happens? Does John record how Jesus found a comfortable place underneath a shady tree and took a nap? No, quite the opposite. In fact, Jesus has an encounter with a woman and he has a conversation with her. And can I suggest to you that the the conversation is somewhat combative? It starts out very rough. And then it transitions into Jesus having to point out issues that are in this woman's life that need to change. Let me ask you, if you have this afternoon on your schedule a conversation with someone that you know is going to be combative, or you have an issue that you need to address in the life of someone that you care about that is a touchy subject, are you resting right now? Or are you filled with anxiety? Like this, that's one of the most tense things that we go through, isn't it? So, so Jesus is weary. The disciples go into the city to get him food. And while he's waiting for them, he's doing things that would seem to rob rest, not, not solve it. And yet, when they come back, they come back with lunch, Jesus is disinterested. And they don't understand why he's not hungry. And listen to what Jesus says to them. It's John 4, verse 32. Jesus said to them, I have food that you do not know. And the disciples said, has someone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish the work. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I've found strength. I've been reinvigorated by doing the things that God has called me to do. And I think this story illustrates that same thing. Where's rest found? Rest rest is found in taking a break. That might be what you need. You're exhausted, you're worn out. Here's what you might need, a nap. You might need to just change this afternoon's schedule and just find somewhere comfortable and lay down and sleep. Right? If you have a hard time sleeping, try reading. That'll put you to sleep. Get a boring book okay? and take a nap. But listen, it also might be that what you need is to maybe recalibrate life. You need to make some changes. You need to see this story teaches us that rest is found in being engaged in the, in the work of God. And perhaps maybe you need to rethink the things that you're doing and and seek, how can I be engaged in serving God and doing the things that I'm doing? How can I bring Jesus into the situation that that I'm in rather than this situation swallowing me? These guys participated in the work of God and the work of God rested them. It, it, It ministered to them. It cared for them. And so this story, it teaches us of the power of God. 
It teaches us that, that we can go through anything when Jesus is with us, but it also has a valuable lesson to us about where rest is found. Rest is found in being engaged in the things that God wants us to participate in. One other thing, this story also teaches us another lesson. Look at verse 35. 35 we read, when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send the crowd away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. And Jesus responds and said, you give them something to eat. <laughs> you, you feed them. And they respond the, the way we'd expect them to respond. They said, shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Do, do you know what it'll cost to feed these guys, Jesus? A denarii is a day's wage. So whatever the, 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 the common man made for working for a day, that was a denarii. 200 denarii? That's basically a year's salary after taxes. It's going to take my entire year's salary to buy these guys just bread, Jesus. How, how am I going to possibly do that? Notice how Jesus responds. Jesus says to them, verse 38, how many loaves do you have? Go see. And they come back with five loaves and two fish. Again, I think Jesus is teaching them a very valuable lesson. And that lesson has something to do with how we serve him. You see, we seem to focus on what we don't have, and Jesus seems to focus on what we do have. There's an interesting passage, it's 2 Corinthians 8, the, 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 the context is giving financially to support the work of the Lord. That's the context of the passage. But listen to the, to the principle. He says, for if there is first a willing mind, it is acceptable according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. Let me read that again. If there is first a willing mind, it's accepted according to what one has, not what one does not have. Again, God is interested in what I have. I seem to be focused on what I don't have. Let me try to illustrate. If you can imagine... You've got the line, it's middle school, and they say, anybody that wants to participate in this activity, take a step forward, right? Okay, so now that same line, and it's anybody that wants to participate in this work of God. And what is the immediate thought that enters your mind? I can't do that because. Right, we start immediately think of why I can't do that. Because our tendency is to focus on what we don't have, What's God's tendency? What's in your hand? What do you have? <laughs> there's, a, there's a famous passage, it's in Exodus chapter four. It's the call of Moses into ministry. And Moses is resisting the call of God on his life. And so God asks him a simple question. He says, Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses responds and he says, a rod. A synonym would be a stick. Do you know why Moses has a stick in his hand? Because he's 80. 
When he was 40, he didn't need to have a stick in his hand. He's got a stick in his hand because he's 80 years old. What do you have, Moses? Well, I, I have this stick. Listen, this stick will become an, an iconic symbol for the nation of Israel. In fact, even like, like borderline could have become an idolatrous symbol for Israel because of how that stick would be used. Moses will take that stick, he'll wave it up towards the heavens and hail will fall upon Egypt. He'll wave it over Egypt and locusts will fill the land. He'll wave it over the Red Sea and the sea will part. He'll strike a rock with it and water will gush forth for the children of Israel. What's in your hand, Moses? Well, it's a stick. But the stick in my hand given over to God, God's able to accomplish great things. And so God looks, or Jesus looks at the 12 and says, what do you have? And they said, well, we found five loaves of bread and we found two fish. And Jesus says, that's sufficient. They say, what, is, what good is that amongst so many? Jesus says, that's sufficient. And they take those five loaves and two fish and they feed a multitude. So this story, it teaches us about the great power of God. You read this and you go, God, Jesus is amazing. Jesus can multiply bread and, bread and fish. Jesus can walk on water. Jesus can calm seas. We read this passage and we think, man, it must have been great to be a disciple and be with Jesus because no matter what they faced, Jesus had a solution. But this passage also has something to say to you if you're weary. Maybe you're weary because it's time to recalibrate your life and spend your energies investing in the furtherance of God's kingdom. And you think, but how do I do that? How, how can I do that with so little? Jesus would say, well, what do you have? Don't worry about what you don't have. You're not responsible for that. You don't have to, if, if God wanted you to be taller, it made you taller. Give to God what you have. And so Father, we just wanna respond to your word. We just wanna say thank you, Lord, that there is rest found not only in Jesus, but in serving Jesus. And we want to take a moment to pray for those among us who are weary. Lord, if they're weary because life is busy, we pray, Father, that you administer to them. We pray, Lord, if they're weary because the kids are little and they don't sleep. Lord, you help the kids sleep. We pray that if they're weary because there's too much on their plate, Lord, that you'd help them. But Lord, if we're weary because we're, in, we're, we're failing to be engaged in the things that you want us to be engaged in. We pray that you'd help us. And Lord, we want to offer to you our loaves and our fish, and we want to trust, Lord, that you can use our lives to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.